Uh, as you know, we've been talking about how to live a godly life in an ungodly world, a holy life in an unholy world, and we know that we are living in an unholy world. Uh, I don't have to explain that anymore to you. Just open up the newspapers. Oh, we've actually moved on from newspapers, but you just turn on the tally and you look at the news, and the news has been influenced to give you just what people want to indoctrinate you with. But in the midst of that, and if you listen around, we know that things are happening. And I know that young people don't want to hear this because their whole futures are still ahead of them. But things have changed, certainly changed. Uh, I think if I ask around here, a lot of you people will say that things are so different from when you were a young person. Uh, and it seems as if things are becoming more difficult. But praise the Lord that He's still on the throne. We need to understand that. But the question is, we are living in this world. Uh, Jesus said that we are in the world but not part of the world. So we need to understand what that means. So how do we live this life? How do you wake up every morning and you go to your workplace and you go to your friends and all of these influences is upon you, is upon your children and within your own little struggles that you've got, your intriguing struggles that you can't make out what to do with this and sometimes don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, and when fear sets in in some hearts, and sometimes there's joy and fear and tears and all of this, how do you, how do you take all of that and live a holy life? Sounds complex, isn't it? Sounds so complex. Now, we're not in a church where, like I said before, we put down a list of rules and you check the boxes down, and you go, check, 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 check for today, I'm all good. What if you miss a check tomorrow, then you're not so good. So that's not how we operate. We come to God and we want surety in Him and security in Him. So how do we live this life? Last week we saw that uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, He says that He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him. Before the foundation of the world, He chose us. And it's so marvelous. I want you to understand something about that. That you are busy writing your life story sitting here today. Individually, and if you're married and you've got a family collectively, there's a life story that's been written in your life. And who's writing that life story? Who's looking into that? It is so marvelous if you understand how wonderful and privileged this God is giving you the grace and the mercy that He looks down from heaven and He looks upon your life and you're a blood-washed child of God, you are born again. Know this, that He is writing with you your life story and everything around you is but actors that writes your story. I hope I make sense this morning. I was so blessed this week again, spending time with this wonderful Creator, this Father of ours in prayer, and, and study the Scriptures, and, and again going over the message of last week. I was so blessed to understand and look back upon my life story when I was born and thinking about my childhood and the people I've met along the way. And some of those people has caused me heartache. Hardship. Is that you? 
Not everybody that you've met along your way came with good intentions upon your life. But then, as I thought about the people who came across my life who blessed me so wonderfully, and I look in the whole scheme of things, and I know that there's a sovereign God up there who has got me in His hands, and He's looking at my life, and all of these things comes together to, to write this story. He chose us. He chose you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And this is so wonderful. And I want to continue on today to take it one step further. As you remember, I said a few weeks ago, I wanted to preach one sermon on this topic, and now we're already a few weeks into this. And may we spend more time on this, if God is teaching us something, if He is talking to us. May we spend time of that. May us not come here and set forth a path for God and say, Lord, this is the box wherein you need to move and you need to talk to us in this manner. It, it doesn't work that way. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 as we move into this next phase. Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus. And Christians who's going through the same things that you and I am going through. The same challenges. The only difference is they didn't have iPods and iPads back in that day. But believe you me that they were, they were well acquainted with their day. And they had every challenge that you and I have today. But he writes to them. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy. Everybody say walk worthy. You know, this was a letter he wrote to them. But I can see in my mind's eye that Paul would stand in front of a group of people and he will use the same words. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to talk to you today about walk worthy. Walk worthy. That's the theme today. I think it's very important that when He beseech us, Deirdre asked me this morning, tell me about this word. That word beseech means I urge you. It is sort of I plead you to do the following things. Because it is good for you if you do this. It is good for you. So I want to talk to you about this. Now it's a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon said the following words. And I'm not quoting him as Bible, just as an inspiration. He says a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. And that is true. A man's life, your life is more forcible than your speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. That's, that is so, isn't it? <laughs> I like that. Because think about this, when your children grows up and when you grow up and eventually you pass on to heaven, is your, is your children going to remember every single word you said to him or how you treated them? 
And this is it. He says they are like pennies. If his life and doctrine, which means his, his teachings or his code of belief, is his, if his life and his saying disagree, the mass of the onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. So think about this next time. You know, we are what we say. This is what people say, isn't it? What comes out of your mouth is what's in your mind. This is what, what is occupying this little space here. And if it's occupied with a certain topic, it is going to be surely come over your lips. And you're going to talk about that. And that is going to influence your conduct, yeah? what you do, how you live, how you walk. And people are looking at how you operate, looking at your manners. The world's looking at that. There was a man by the name of Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Is that a name familiar with some of you? Schweitzer. Uh, and he won the Nobel Prize. Who remembers in what year? 1952. He won the Nobel Prize. Now, I must say the Nobel Prize back then was more worth in weight than it's now. Now they just give it to any, any other guy. But back then, it was really, you had to really do something tangible. You really had to walk the walk if you wanted to get that. And they rewarded this doctor. He was a theologian, but he was also a doctor. And he worked in Africa with poor people, and he really helped and supported them in there. And they gave him the Nobel Prize. In 1953, he went back to, uh, I think it was America, and the people knew he was going to come back, and all the reporters were there. Not TV cameras, but reporters. They wanted to meet this man person after he won it. He was an important person now. And they waited at the railway station, all in anticipation of this man coming out. And as the train stopped and the steam set down, and people coming out of the carriage, a tall Dr. Schweitzer came out of it, and he walked right up to them, and they started asking him questions. But his glaze was over them, and he saw a black woman carrying bags. And he said to these people, excuse me, he walked over there, and he helped the lady putting the bags into a, a chariot, a, a thing that's going to carry it away. And then he came back, and he started talking to them. And there's one reporter who was standing there, and he said these words. He said, for the first time, I saw a walking sermon. Think about that. This man didn't write. I mean, they are there to write what he's going to say. Hey, they were going to ask him questions. They want to go ask him, how do you feel? How do you feel to get the Nobel Prize? What do you do there? And all of these different things they could have talked about. But this man was so impressed by a walking sermon. He did what he preached. My question to you this morning is, if you call yourself born again, if you call yourself a child of God, if you call yourself blood washed, if you say this morning that the love of Christ has been poured into your hearts, if you walk around and you say, I am the light of the world that Jesus said I am, if you say to yourself that you are the salt which needs to bring flavor into your friends, into your workplace, into all of those things, are you walking? Are you a walking sermon? And this is important now for us to realize and understand how to live a godly life in an ungodly world. And this is where we find 
that Paul is taking us. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to the church in Corinth, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You're a new person. A new person. And what happened? What is the things that you've actually shaken off? You remember when John was down at Betabara and baptizing people? This is John the Baptist. And the people came to him and they said to him, John, what shall we do? What did he tell them? He said, bear the fruits of what? Of repentance. Bear the fruit of repentance. He said, if you've got two jackets, what do you need to do? Give them away. Give one away. He didn't say go to Gumtree and sell one and see how much you can get it and now you've only got one in your cupboard and you're a-okay. And then if you walk past somebody and you sold the jacket for $50, give a poor man $10 and now you feel good. That's not what he said. He said go and give it away. Because let me tell you, dear friends, brothers and sisters, everything that you've got in your life today is not yours. You work so hard, you put so much effort in, and I hope you are doing it for God. I hope that you're not serving your master, because your great master is God, and if you serve him well in your workplace, you will serve your master on the earth well as well. And there's so many wells in that well as well. But here is the fact of the matter, brothers and sisters. We need to walk the walk. He says, go and give it away to them. And every single thing that you've got is but by the grace of God. This clothes I'm wearing is by the grace of God. The car I'm driving is by the grace of God. The house of God is by the grace of God. But you don't know, Pastor, because, preacher, we've worked so hard, we've saved so much to buy that place. And what will happen tomorrow if you die? Oh, my children will get it. And what happens when they die? Can you take it with you? I'm digressing again. But I think it's important for us to hear these words. Because sometimes we work so much to live a life and make our life here on the earth that we put so much effort into that. And the problem with that is if you put too much weight on that, if you put too much value on this life, you will neglect the life of Christ. So in the midst of all of this, Paul comes to the church in Ephesus and he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The word that is used here for walk, it refers to a daily conduct. It refers to a behavior. It's an action word. An action word means that you're going to do something. And he says to these Christians, remember he didn't talk to the world. He didn't talk to the unbelievers. He talked to people like who's hearing me right now. He says, I beseech you to walk, to make an action, to make your behavior in this world worthy. Now, if you think about the word walk, we go to Psalm chapter 1 verse 1. And you see this. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Remember, we are looking at living a godly life in an ungodly world. And here the psalmist says, the man, if you want to live a godly life, you need not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. 
But then he goes on, he says, nor stand in the path of the sinners. And then he goes on to say, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And his law he meditates day and night. So it is an action word. And then he goes on to say, live worthy. The word here means in the Greek is to live, your living needs to match the position in Christ. Your position in Christ. Now I want you to see these two words here because this is what it is all about. You can say walk worthy of the calling. What is he talking about calling? He uses two Greek words here. He uses the word klesis. He says walk worthy of the klesis. That means divine salvation to uh, invitation to salvation. So what do we need to do? He says, I want you to walk worthy of salvation. Salvation. And then he says, to which you were called. And that's the word kalio, which means called by name. So here you sit this morning and he called you by name. And to what? And to salvation. So Paul is just straightforward telling them, he says, I want you to walk worthy of the salvation that you were called into, by name. If you sit here this morning and you proclaim to be born again, know this, that he called you by name. Remember what I said before, he chose us before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless. He urged them to do this. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And again, he writes to Christians. He says, only let your conduct, everybody say conduct. He says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whatever I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So first of all, he says, walk worthy of your calling. That is a personal call unto salvation. And now he says, let your conduct be what? Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now this is fascinating. If you are like me and you love to study the words, let this word bless you. What does he mean by the word conduct there? If you look at the word conduct there. Conduct means your actions, how we walk. Isn't it right? Now in English, that's the explanation of the word. But if you go to Greek, it comes out with a fascinating word. Look at this. The word conduct there in Greek means to be a citizen of a country. It's the meaning of that. He says, let your conduct be worthy of... That whole word there, the weight around the word, means to be like a citizen of a country. So in other words, you behave like a citizen who obey the laws of that country. Now, I'm a South African-born Kiwi who's now living in Australia. I get it. I've lived in three countries. And I'll tell you what, when I'm in South Africa, I do like her as a South African. If there's laws in South Africa, I obey those laws. If I'm a citizen of that country, 
I obey those laws. When I moved to New Zealand and I became a citizen of New Zealand and the laws changed, what do I do? I obey the laws. Why? Because I'm a citizen of that country. Now I'm in Australia. I'm not yet a citizen here. I'm also not an overstayer, so don't go there. But I'm, a, I'm, I'm here because the government says it's okay for New Zealanders to come and work here. But if I walk into Australia and they say, when you go down this road at 80 kilometers an hour, and I say, no, 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 this road similar in New Zealand is to a road that I know and I, over there you can go 100 kilometers per hour. I beg you, go and test it. I'll put a police officer down the road, you go down 100 kilometers an hour, and what's going to happen? It's going to cost you money. Why? Because in this country, that's the laws and that's the rules. So why did Paul use this word here? That fascinates me. That keeps me hunger for the word, because there's so many treasures in the word of God. If you only but dig in, and you study into the Word, you will find so much more there. It is fascinating. So this word here comes to the word to be like a citizen. So what are we now? Fantastic. Trevor, so much, so true. So that's why I stopped short of that. Let, let, let me, no, no, you're right. Correct me or, or, call me or call me on that. Remind me of that. Because the one thing that we is, we are citizens of what? Of heaven. If you are born again, and look, let me just tell you, you can't have dual citizenship in this case. Because it's not a legal thing that happened. You know, when, when I was in South Africa and I became a citizen of New Zealand, I legally applied to become a citizen of New Zealand. I legally applied. But when I became a citizen of heaven, did I legally apply for that? No. You are born again into that. And my brother is 100% correct. We obey these laws because the Bible says, Jesus says, obey Caesar. You know, obey the laws of the land. But when it comes to obeying a sin, we rightfully can say, we are not going to do that. Example in the book of Daniel. You remember when all of the people were there and they said when, the, when we're going to make music, everybody needs to bow down before Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that? That's a law they brought in. But they knew that we can't bow before anybody else but whom? But God. And when they made music, what happened? Three men. They said, we will not bow. So you're right, my brother. That's absolutely so. So what is he talking about when he comes down to conduct here? Let me give it to you. Because now you become a citizen of the gospel of Christ. Think about this. A citizen of the gospel. What does it mean? It means, in other words, if you're a citizen of the gospel of Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. It brings you into heaven. And now we need to obey as citizens. There's laws that is in the gospel of Christ. There's things you need to know when you get born again. The things I used to do, I do them no more. Uh, uh, Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, I'm a new creation. I'm new, the things of old. I shouldn't continue in them. How do I live a holy life in an unholy world? I start living a holy life. 
I start walking away from the ungodly things. And this is what that word means there. Now he says, worthy of the gospel. You become worthy as a citizen of the gospel. Did you ever thought of yourself as being a citizen of the gospel? Have you ever thought about that? This is what he says there. I let only your citizenship of the gospel be worthy of the gospel. Think of that. It's so wonderful. Now let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. He says, for this reason, we also, this is again our Paul, he writes to a different church in a different city. In, in a different town, similar to us, he says, For this reason also, since the day we've heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every work, in every work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might and according to the glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So what did I say before? What did Paul say? He said we are citizens of the gospel. So what has come with that? You need to learn. You can't just sit there and nothing happens. And here he comes, he says we are filled with what? The knowledge of his will. How do we get filled with the knowledge of his will? By reading the scriptures by studying the scriptures and again let me just say it brothers and sisters this is not law i'm not bringing in law to you and say if you come to this church you have to do all of these little things law is only a tutor law only brings you to the grace of christ but once it comes to the grace of christ it doesn't say that the law is gone now no no but he fulfilled the law and now we learn about the knowledge of his will in all Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. How do I apply this knowledge? The Lord gave you knowledge. You start reading the Bible and you see more things coming out and you grow spiritually. Do I then walk over to somebody who's not walking spiritually and he says he's a Christian and I go, the Bible says this and the Bible says you shouldn't do this and the Bible says this and the Bible and the Bible. That's not what he says. We're not doing Bible bashing. No, no, what he says here is the wisdom is how to apply that knowledge, not only to others, but into your own life. And then he says spiritual understanding. A lot of things that I preach from this pulpit is spiritual understanding. How many times have he sat there and said, man, that sounds so wayward. But Paul writes it to the church in Corinth. He says the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. Just can't. This is impossible. Let, let, let me test this. You go into your workplace and say to people, you are born again. Born again. And they say, what is that? Well, what do you mean born again? Well, did you go back into your mother's womb that you were born again? No, no. It's a, it's a birth from above. God born me again. How does that work? Have you made it out for yourself? Because it's a spiritual thing. And a spiritual man understands the spiritual things of God. There's a lot of questions in the Bible when people come to you and they say, this is a difficult question. And you know, I look at it and I say, the only way that you need to do this is believe it by faith. There's a lot of things that you and my brain won't be able to explain properly out of the Word of God. 
You want to say, but prove that to me, Deuteronomy 29, 29. He says, because the secret things of God is His. The abscanditos, that's the Latin word. The abscanditos, it's obscure to us. That belongs to God. But then he says, the revelatos, the things which is revealed, belongs to us and to our children. So there is things which is only a spiritual understanding which will be able to bring it to our attention. So what did he say? What am I saying today? Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, the salvation. And then he says, walk worthy of what? The conduct, the gospel of Christ. And now he says, in all wisdom be filled with his knowledge uh, of his will and spiritual understanding. Let's go one more. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I love this one. He says, Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk. You see, there's the word walk again. It's an action. To what? To please God. That's how we ought to walk. To please God. So how are you going to do it, brother and sister? Every single thing you do, Ask yourself, is this pleasing God? Every conversation you have, is this pleasing God? Is it pleasing God? If it's not pleasing God, then you know that you're not walking how you ought to walk. But if you want to abound more and more, what does it mean? I like it because Paul is one of those people who like to use that. He says, but there's even more. It means that you cannot stop growing as a child of God. You need to continue growing. How do we grow? By walking with Him, by praying and by reading His Word. Let's go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Now, this is, uh, this is so powerful because he brings it all together. He says, these things command and teach. He writes it to a young pastor. He says, let not one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. How do you live a godly life? You become an example to the believers. If you're an example, you will look upon your own life. He says uh, to the believers in what? In word. The Greek word there for word is the word logos. And what is logos? It is the written word. It is the written word. Now you can make a connection if you want to and take this word and connect it to John chapter 1 verse 1 because it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that word there in the beginning was Logos. Now you, want, you can make a connection if you want to because we need to walk into the Logos of God, into Jesus Christ in your Bible. But when he writes to them here, he says to them that you need to be an example in word. That means that you need to study the word. Remember this man. Remember when he says your actions rather than your words. Because the psalmist says, if I take the word of God and I put it in my heart, what will it do? It will guard against sin. It will help, and it will, it will occupy your mind, and what you will speak will be the Word of God. Not only that, he says in what do we need to be examples? Six things, conduct. Conduct. Now, this word conduct here is not the same word that he used earlier on. This means your life, that how you walk, your living, your lifestyle. 
I ask you now, if I come to your workplace and I ask people around your workplace, how are you living? How is this person working? What will they say? What will they say about you? If I come to your house, because we are, we are ambassadors of God. We need to live as ambassadors of God. We need to be the life in the sun. And if I come to you, how is your lifestyle? What does people know you? Do they know you that you come on into the party and you're the clown of the party? Is that how people know you? He says, be an example. And then he goes on to say, in love, that is a sacrificial love. How much are you giving away? We're coming back to what John said in the, at, at, the, at uh, Betabara when he, when he said to them, if you've got two jackets, give one away. How open is your hand to the children of God, the ones who suffer? Or are you only clinging on and say, you know, I'm going to look for my old day. I'm going to look for my future. What happens if there's no future? I'm going to give it to my children. Yes, that's good and it's noble. It's really good. But is that the only thing that's driving you? Yes, of course we need to look after our children. But if people talk about you, are they seeing the love of God in you? This is how we live. This is how we answer the question. Whilst the word says no love, it's self-love, we need to come and say, no, it's not self-love, it's sacrificial love. That's the opposites. When the world comes and they say it's eros love, you know what eros is? Erotica. It is, it's touch and feeling love. We come and say it's not that kind of love. He gave up his life. It's sacrifice. How does the people know you about loving? If somebody is waking up 2 o'clock in the morning and they're in strife, is your phone number the very first phone number they can call? And go, if I call this person, I know that they will be there. Sacrifice their sleep. Sacrifice their, their selves for me. This is what it is all about, living that life. And what about spirit? You see the spirit here, and some people try to make it the Holy Spirit, but it's not. This is a small letter spirit. It's your spirit. It talks about your attitude. Are you an example in your attitude at work, at home? Are you waking up every morning thanking God and have got a good attitude? Or are you walking around with a chip on your shoulder against the government, against somebody else, somebody who did you in? And now all of a sudden it influences your attitude. At school, what happens? And then he talks of faith and impurity. And we know that purity is where Peter says, Be holy for I am holy. And I hurry on and then we're going to finish and pray. He says in verse 13, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Are you doing that? Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by the prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Within you and me there is a gift. Did you know that? And I know. I know that he talks here, if you want to put it into context, it's a gift of ministry, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, but there's a gift in each one. If you call yourself a born-again child of God, what is that gift? You should know. Each one of you, if you call yourself a born-again child of God, should know what that gift is. What is the gift? Salvation. You go to the lady at the well in John chapter 4. What did Jesus say? He said, if you knew the gift of God, 
and whom it is who asks you this water, what will happen? He will give you living waters. So if you sit here today and you say, Preacher, I can surely say, by the grace of God, that I'm born again. You've got a gift of God. Salvation. And what did he say? I will give you living water and you will thirst no more. He says this gift. And then I want to come to this point now. He says, meditate on these things and give yourself entirely over to them that your progress may be evident to all. Everybody see those words in blue. Give yourself entirely over to them. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save yourself and those who hear you. I want to just end today by talking about this. Give yourself entirely over to them. He was obviously talking to, to Timothy. And obviously he was talking to him about ministry. And, and, you know, this past. And obviously he was, but he's also talking to you and me. If you sit here today and you say, but preacher, this whole Timothy thing is written to pastors and to the leaders of the church. You are but wrong. Because the whole scripture is given for inspiration for everybody. This is written for you as much as it's written for me, as much as it's written for Timothy. God is looking at you and he wants you to give yourself entirely over to it. To what? He wants you to give yourself entirely over to reading, exhortation, doctrine, to be an example. He wants you to give yourself entirely over to the gospel of Christ. Entirely. Everything. I think this is the biggest challenge that's in front of church today in the 21st century. It's the biggest challenge. If I look over the last 25 years that I'm preaching the word and, and a little bit before that when I was saved and everything, if I look at the church and I look at, at how it's gone just in my area which I can see, I see that the church has been holding itself up with all of these fables, old wife fables, not the old church, some churches, and all of these things that waste time except of coming and standing in front of people and urging them like a Paul urges the church to give themselves entirely over over to God. This is why we are saved. Not to just go to church and look good and feel good. This is why we are saved. We are saved to grow, to abound more, to gain the knowledge of His will. What is God's will? You need to study that. You need to go into that. You need to pray about that. You need to stand before God and every morning, every day, it doesn't matter what time you use, but you need to come in front of the living God and you need to, as a child of God, stand in front of God, sit in front of God and say, Father, I won't stand up here this morning. I won't go out of my house if I do not know your will for me, Father. I don't want to go out that door without the Holy Spirit. Is that you this morning? Or are you just walking by faith? You know where faith walking is? People just wake up and whatever will happen today will happen. I think the call here is clear to this young man and to us. Give yourself entirely over to them. 
the will of God, the knowledge of His will. You know, we make decisions. Brothers and sisters, I, I deal with people over this time, and people find themselves in difficult situations. And then once you start going and unpacking it and unpacking it and going back and see when this trouble started in their life, it evidently comes down to one point in their life when they made a decision and they went down a certain road without praying and without asking God. A decision they've made. The reason why you're sitting here today where you're sitting is because of decisions you've made in the past that you've made. Why am I here in Karim Downs? I mean, I'm a South African. I said it to you before. I made a decision in my life to go to New Zealand. I made that decision. Now, I can tell you truly here, I've got the proof and the evidence that I prayed and I searched God's face for that and He spoke to me in the Scriptures in Isaiah and He directed my footsteps and I can tell you my life story in New Zealand that the Lord blessed us there. We were struggling at some stages, very, very struggled, really poorly. But you know what? The Lord blessed us all the time there and I made a decision to come to Australia. And this is what I always say to people. Don't make a decision when you're emotional. Because the chances that you're going to make a wrong decision is 90%. If not 100. But come down to the point if we want to walk worthy of God. To come to Him and say, Lord, I want to give myself entirely over to You. Entirely. But let me warn you before you pray that prayer. Be prepared to pay a price if you pray that prayer. I said to you before, we are living in times where things are becoming serious. Serious. We can't play with God anymore. Not that we did before, but we can't play with God. Come to Him and say to Him, Father, you know, I want to walk worthy of the calling that You've given me. Make that your aim today. Go home today and speak to Him and say, Father, I want to walk worthy of that calling. Help me, Lord. I will search your scriptures day and night. I will sit there, Father, and read through them. And, Father, if there needs to be a correction in my life, point it through with the Holy Spirit. But I want to walk worthy of salvation. I want to walk this walk, Lord. I want to walk worthy of your gospel, Father. I don't want to give in to all of the other things. I want to grow in the knowledge of your will. I want to walk in your wisdom. I want to have the spiritual understanding. And if you give yourself entirely over to that, what will happen? It's so clear. He says that your progress may be evident to whom? To all. Now obviously we don't go in there and pray and say, Father, I want to be progressor that everybody see me there on the pedestal. No, because this is the fact. If you're going to start studying the Scriptures, and if you're going to start understanding His will, and if you're going to understand God, I will tell you one thing today, brother and sister. The more you see Him, the smaller you become in yourself. The more you encounter this magnificent God, the more you will shrink in yourself. And I've got so much proof of that, but I've run out of time. Saul, I'll give you this one. You all heard me say this before. Saul of Tarsus. He was a Benjamite. He came out of, he, you know, it was a good tribe. You know, the tribe of Benjamin. And what is Saul of Tarsus? 
most probably, it's not proven, but most probably, his parents gave him the name uh, after Saul of the Old Testament, the uh, much expected, that's what the main is name means, Saul, much expected of this person. And he was walking in that. He sat under Gamaliel, one of the top teachers. He was one of the best students until he met Jesus on the road of Damascus. And what did he change his name to? Paul. What does Paul mean? Small, little one. This is what happens to us. Learn this morning. Let's take it this morning. I don't know how long the Lord's going to keep me down this track. And again, I, I digress because more verses that I wanted to go through. But let the Word of God speak in your heart. But I want to leave you with this. Give yourself entirely to them. And you will see the change in your life. And not only that, other people will see the change in your life. And this is what this coming to. He says that, your progress may be evident to all. Progress in what? Your spiritual progress will become evident to all. Evident to all. And then he says, take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself, not to others, to yourself and to the doctrine. That's your teaching. Continuing for by doing this, you will, sa it will save both yourself and those who hear you. This is not salvation here, okay? Because Timothy at that point in time was already saved. But let's pray. I think I've, uh, I've uh, said enough today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning, Lord. And Father, I absolutely want to pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to walk worthy of salvation, to walk worthy of your gospel. Father, help us to grow in the knowledge of your will and in wisdom and spiritual understanding. Help us this morning, Father, that we walk worthy to please you, Lord, to abound more and more in it to please you, Lord. All I want to do is please Jesus, please you, God. 